0: Welcome to The Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the city of Lagos and beyond renewed by the gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel.
1: A Bible reading for today is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. When I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. Her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. He went in and said to them, all right, um, I'm going to continue from there. So at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? And Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And in 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead. Put her but they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother, and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, "Talita kum, which means, "Little girl, I say to you, get up." Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was twelve years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thank you very much. Olive, thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. How are we all doing this morning? Yeah, we have to always give the customary answer there. Like I may not be fine. How do you know? But thank you for being good church people. I'm just saying, fine. All right. Well, you're welcome to church this morning, particularly if it's your first time. We're really happy to have you, whether you're logging in or you're actually here with us uh, physically. We're so happy to have you. And we hope that you'd have a blessed time with us. Uh, Someone turn to your neighbor and say, touch is life. Touch is life. I know how many of you like politics, I like political history, and sometimes studying um, political philosophies that have been worked out in history. I'm very fascinated because I was was growing up as a child in the midst of this with, you know, there was a time when we had something called the Cold War, and it was between the, the capitalist West and the communist East. There was a guy called Nikolai Ceausescu. He was the communist dictator of Romania from 1965 to 1989. Now, Ceausescu was seeing, he saw all that, he was inspired by what was going on in the Soviet Union that was like the mother of communism, but also subsequently after that, China as well. And so he had a vision for the communist state that he was leading in Romania. At the time, he wanted to see the productivity increase you know, um, in line with some of what he was seeing in other places. And so he had a vision. The vision, he said, was to have a country of worker bees. Bees all around, just working in the production lines and lifting up the communist state. Now, it's good to have a vision, but you need a strategy for that vision. And his strategy was going to be outworked through certain policies. Policy number one, if you're going to have many people in the country, you don't want people killing babies, so you outlawed abortion. Policy number two, I'm going to give you three, was that he said every single woman was to bear at least five children. <laughs> I know the lady said it, man. <laughs> five children. Now it was a brutal dictator, but he was not someone who wasn't smart. He knew that there was going to be a problem that, you know, they couldn't afford it and all that. What are they going to do? So policy number three, he was going to set up orphanages all around the country where the excess children that they gave birth to could be put. And he assured them that they will be best taken care of. They were going to put different things that enable these children to grow up and they will not lack anything. And so, they implemented all the policies, started raising up the worker bees. But as a lot of us know, who are students of history, communism really started to die. I know we have a little bit of it in China, but that's a modified version. But true communism really died in 1989, when the Berlin Wall came down, and then the Soviet Union started to crumble. But also, it reverberated in many communist states, including Romania. Ceausescu's regime was brought down, he was brutally murdered. And so you say, well, that's the end of the brutal dictatorship, and now we are free. Well, sometimes ideas have consequences, they say. And so we didn't just see the end of the reign of terror. All of a sudden, as the hand curtain was rolled back, we saw the legacy of terror. Because now the world could now see what the policy of putting these children in these orphanages was going to look like. That was what they looked like. The world watched with horror to see the state of underdevelopment, particularly in the social and value skills of these children. They looked an absolute shadow of what human beings, psychological research as well, and they came with one conclusion about. What was severely lacking with these children? They said in every single child, in every single orphanage that looked underdeveloped, they lacked one thing. What was it? They lacked human touch. They lacked human touch. They were taken from their mothers. Yes, I'm putting these utopian orphanages but we realize that touch matters they were starving not for food for they were given that but they were starving from the warm nurturing touch of another human being this is personal for me 8 years ago my second son was born and he was born 8 weeks premature and the doctors at that point when he came out blue. He was hardly breathing and all of that. They resuscitated him. And the doctors were able to put him in an incubator. He obviously couldn't go back home with us. They told us essentially you can't do anything for this child. You have to leave him with us. But there's one thing you can do. One thing that is absolutely vital. For the three weeks he's going to be in this incubator. You and your wife will come every single day. Not to feed him. Not to breastfeed him. We just want you to do something. Touch him. Touch him. Touch him. Neuroscientists and others tell us that we feel, when we feel a friendly touch, our brains release oxytocin, a kind of hormone, which helps increase positive, feel-good sensations of trust emotional bonding, and social connection while decreasing fear and anxiety at the same time. Even we, in we adults, it helps adults regulate digestion, sleep, and boost our immune system. Somebody say, touch is life. And so if this is the condition that we get when we lack vital human touch... Or if this is the condition that we get when we're exposed to human touch human to human touch can I pose a question to you all what happens when there is a divine to human touch oh I tell you what happens wherever you see something that is broken something is then repaired Whenever you see something that is dead, then something comes back to life. In the passage that was so beautifully read to us, this is what we see. That somebody who had an issue that had plagued her for years, oh, she was just able to touch the one who is the lamb that is on the throne. That when there was a situation that everything seemed to look dead, he was able to touch the girl and she came back to life adventure, you thought you came here today by accident can I tell you you came to meet with the divine touch of Jesus Christ and I pray and I declare that when he touches you or you touch him your life will not be the same again I said I pray over somebody in this place that you've come in with any disease or an illness you are going to receive the touch of the divine today in the name of Jesus but when he touches us nothing remains See. One of the things we're going to see is that touch, particularly when it comes to divine, has everything to do with our faith. So yes, we're going to be talking about touching today, but we're going to be talking about faith as well. So we've titled this sermon, Touching God. You can say it in two ways, touching God or touching God, which is touching God or the touching God. And we're looking at it under three headings. Desperate faith, saving faith, and contagious faith. Desperate faith, saving faith, and contagious faith. Lord, we already feel your presence here with us now. But we pray, God, that we'll feel it in greater intensity. We pray, God, that it will come in light. We pray that you will come in power. Lord God Almighty, and that you touch us, and that you make yourself available to be touched by us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's pray for it. Let's talk a little bit more about politics, but I want to set it within the context of 2012. Who remembers 2012? 2012 was the year of London Olympics. Can you imagine? Who remembers London Olympics a long time ago? say both was still around. I mean, it's around, it's not dead, but, you know, he was doing say both things. But in the context of politics, who remembers something called the Arab Spring? Yeah, Arab Spring, eh? Some of us, were Arab Spring, you are just tweeting all the things that you didn't know was happening. You were saying, hey, long live the revolution. Long live, the... you didn't know. You, are just, you know, but Arab Spring was in 2011, late 2011 and now 2012. Seems like a long time ago. Do you know that a certain... Guy called Good Luck at Jonathan was still in power. In fact, he wasn't just in power, he was just one year into the term that he actually won through campaigning this time. Some people are saying, Ah, the good old days. <laughs> Did you know that Barack Obama had just finished campaigning for his second term? He hadn't even started the second term. 2012 was a long time ago. Xi Jinping. The president of China, that was when he became president of China. Some of us are saying, has he not always been president? 2012 was a long time ago. Now imagine in 2012, you contracted a disease that had physical, spiritual, social, emotional, and financial consequences. And you have been enduring it every single day since then. 12 years. That was the plight of this woman. Let's talk a bit about her. What is her name? That's the first problem. We don't know her name. Historically in the church, we have called her the woman with the issue of blood. Imagine being referred to as the person that has malaria, the person that has cancer, but so severe was her situation that it's hard to describe as anything else. She had been losing blood for 12 years. And we know this. If you lose blood, what happens to you? You get very weak every single day, 12 years. She suffered from physical debilitation. But it was more. It was more. Because Leviticus 15, 25 to 27 27 tells us, it also has spiritual connotations and social consequences as well. For anyone that was on their period was unclean for the time of their period. However, if you were then discharging blood after your period, it was also unclean woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has this discharge. Unclean. For 12 years. No, it wasn't just physical debilitation. She was suffering spiritual desecration. But there is more. Because any bed she lies on, while this discharge continues, the bed is unclean. Any chair she sat on, whilst this bleeding continued, the place was unclean. And so you could not go to where she was because it had been made unclean. It's even worse. Verse 27, it tells us that anybody that touched her will remain unclean. Therefore, this woman really could not relate with society. Imagine being taken out of normal social interaction for 12 years. It wasn't just physical debilitation, it wasn't just spiritual desecration. This woman was suffering under social ostracization. Now, let me ask you all of those things come together. What do you think her emotional state was? You don't have to be too smart to know that she was traumatized because everyone, no, anyone who knew about her would want to stay away from her. But she would also be conscious. She could not date anybody, nobody could ask her out. Everything about her, an identity would have been telling her, I'm unclean, I'm not worthy. And so there was emotional. Traumatization. Well, finally, there was one more thing, as if to pour, how do they say it, salt on, on the injury. In her desperation, she wanted to do everything she could to get out of the situation, and so she went to doctors. Incidentally, this is just a funny point. In the Luke's account of this story, he did not include this part of what happened, but let's leave it there. If you know the story, Luke is a doctor, so <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do one for the for the guild. She went to doctors with the hope that she would be healed. You know what was terrible? She wanted to be healed, but you know what she would have taken if they couldn't heal her? She would have taken stability. At least, do not allow this thing to degenerate. But this was not the situation with this woman. The more money she poured in, she didn't get healed. She wasn't stabilized. It said the worse that she became. And she poured more money and the worse that she became. It said she spent all her wealth on doctors until she had nothing left. This woman that suffered physical debilitation, this woman woman that suffers spiritual desecration and social ostracization and emotional traumatization has now come to the end of herself. Financial decimation. No wonder the word that is used as suffering in the Greek about her suffering could also be translated as torment. Plague. Scourge. Mented, plagued, scourged, not for 12 hours, not for 12 days, not for 12 weeks, not for 12 months, but for 12 forsaken years. Oh my God. What hope does she have? So some of us maybe have come here today with a scourge that has lasted for a long time. And it seems like your hope has been exhausted. And it seems like you have nowhere else to turn. First thing I want to tell you, if you've been scourged for this long, emotionally, physically, relationally, socially, financially and you feel you no one sees you that the god of the universe does not see you guess what the fact that this woman's story is in this scriptures tells you that the God who saw her is the God that sees you. you are not alone. He sees every tear that falls to the ground. He's a god that sees you the second thing is this. If he sees you, can he do something about it? You bet he can. And here's the instruction to you. Two words. Touch him. Somebody say, touch him. Touch him. Because we are told that this woman touched him and he immediately, her bleeding stopped. Touch him. Now, that seems very preachy and preacher-like. It, what do you mean by touch him? Well, let's continue to examine with this woman. Because she did three things I want you to see, and it's really in verse 27. It said she heard, she came, and then she touched. you see those three steps? She heard, she came, and then she touched. Let's back up a little bit and just talk about I don't know how many of us have gone to see a concert of our favorite band or you've been you've seen an actor before a, a hero of yours you know you know what we do we do foolish things don't we I remember I don't know how many of you know who Andre 3000 is do you know Andre 3000 2000 outcast I remember I was sitting next to him on a plane and I was just like, how do I? How do I? I didn't say anything to him on the plane. How do I? How do I? How do I? I just, as we got down, it was We got down, I just said, Andre, I, I'm Niger- I've been listening to 1995 Source Awards. You are, can I take a picture? Just stop saying nonsense. But I'm still respectable. Some of us, you won't say it, but you do something worse. You see them, you have nothing to say. We touch them. It didn't just happen now. It happened even in the days of Alexander the Great. Listen to what this commentator writes about Alexander the Great. I love it. He says, um, Alexander the Great was often mobbed by crowds who ran to him from all sides. Some touching his hands. Some touching his knees. Some touching his garments. In hopes that they would be, and this is the reason why we do it, in hopes that they will be baptized with his aura. Alexander is great. I am not great. But peradventure I touch him. Greatness will land on me. Chris Martin can sing. Maybe somebody is going to see Coldplay very soon. So I am just calling Chris Martin. He may sing well. I can't sing to save my life. But peradventure I touch him. But you see 500 years after Alexander this same superstitious way of thinking was what the people that were around Jesus were also doing. They had heard about what happened on the Jordan on, on the river Jordan. They had heard about what happened at the Gazerines with the demoniac that had the, the, the demoniac that had all the legion of demons taken out of him. And so when they thought about this Jesus is come, well wow, this entertaining magician. If only we can see him do something. So they heard they came and they said, the Bible says, they started pressing on him. Peradventure his aura was going to put on them. But you see, the problem with their understanding is that they were thinking about him as a magician. And Jesus was not there. He didn't come to come and spread his aura. Jesus came to deliver the captives. So even though she was with them in the crowd, she stood and was distinguished from them because she heard something different when she heard Jesus' is coming. She came for something different when she knew he was going to be there. And therefore, she touched expecting something different. How do I know this woman was just not being reactive? In verses 26 and twenty verse 27 it says when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him. Somebody says strategic positioning. She knew where she was going to stay. And then when she touched him, wasn't just she said, if I could just touch his clothes, I know, I know, I know that I will be healed. I hope there's somebody here today that knows something. You see, the people touched with ignorance because they thought Jesus, well, you know, he's this magician. She touched with the heart of faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. But faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is rooted in an understanding of who God is. For whoever must come to him must believe that he is, And is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. She touched him with faith, such that whilst they heard that he was an entertaining magician, she heard that he was a deliverer. Whilst they came to observe a general spectacle, she came to obtain personal deliverance. While they touched for a superstitious transfer of his aura, she came for a release of his redeeming power. She said, if you could do it to disaster, and you could do it to demons, then you can do it to my disease. He touched him. And Jesus, this is one of the first times you see this in the Bible, I think the only time. He unintentionally healed her. You can touch God in such a way, permit me to speak almost blasphemously. As though he wasn't intending to do something, and yet there was something about the way you touched him that brought about his power. So when you say, okay, I get it, how can I touch him? Let me quickly give you something about the gospel, the good news of the gospel. The gospel is really a, a, a message about Jesus Christ. It's about five identities of Jesus and five events that tally with those identities. Can I tell you those five identities and those events? Five identities. He is servant, he is, he is servant, savior, he is lord or king, he is priest, and he is judge. Servant, savior, king, priest, judge. Say it. Servant, savior, king, priest, king judge. But the five events that have to do with Jesus, that tally with those identities are this. Incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, exaltation, and revelation. Incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, exaltation, and Revelation. In other words, he came the first time, incarnation. He's going to come a second time, revelation. But in between that, he died, crucifixion, he rose from the dead, resurrection, and now he's exalted at the high at the right hand of God. Why is this important? God in the in the Jewish faith cannot be seen. He told Moses, If anyone should see me, they will not what live. God really in his own voice could not be heard. He spoke through the angel of the Lord. You can't really hear him. And most especially God who is not a human being cannot be taught. He is spirit. So those who worship him must be worshiping what? In spirit and in truth. But this is where the most, probably the most significant event in all of history. The incarnation turns everything around. Because the Son of God, who is God himself, all of a sudden, the creator of time entered into time. The creator of space that dwells outside of space entered into space. And so John can say, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and which we have looked upon our eyes have seen, and which we have done what? Touched that we proclaim to you. And so that when he was walking around Galilee, he was walking around Naphtali, and he was walking around Zebulun, he was fulfilling the word that was said about Jesus. That the land of Naphtali, the land of Zebulun, by the way of the sea, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. It wasn't because he was coming in some master flashbulb. No, the light of the world had come into the world. It wasn't because of the sun rays. No, the sun of righteousness who comes with healing in his wings had appeared. And so darkness had seen a great light. And somebody would say, well, but Jesus ain't here. I can't touch him. You see, well, Jesus was passing by. The woman was able to touch him because she could see Jesus. If the incarnation says Jesus can be touched, where is he so I can touch him? This is where you must go to another part of the gospel. Let me take you to the fourth one. The exaltation. You see, the reason Jesus is now exalted at the right hand of God. And because he's exalted at the right hand of God, the Bible tells us he is king on the one hand, but he's also a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Are you following me? And because he's a high priest, the Bible says he's always interceding for us. And it is in this vein that you are able to touch him. Somebody says, how? I'm glad you asked. Give me Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. He says, for we do not have a high priest which cannot be... Touched with the feeling of our infirmities, let me help you by removing the two or double negative. For we have a high priest, he can be touched. How can he be touched? He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, and therefore, if there's somebody desperate enough with faith, like that woman, then let's read verse 16. He said, Let them come boldly. You can come boldly with the desperation of the feeling of your infirmities and this Savior will not pass you by. So I love that song that Fanny Crosby wrote. It says, pass me not oh gentle Savior hear my humble cry He does hear why I know that thou art cold get the others personalize it do, do not pass me by and the chorus is just like a cry say see continue singing but I want you to sing in faith the second stanza applies to Hebrews 14 it says he really can be touched. that at the throne of, of mercy that kneeling in, um, at the throne of mercy let me find a sweet relief he says kneeling in deep contrition help my own belief God wants us to boldly come with desperation yes but the desperation should not should not outwit our faith and so let's sing and I pray that as we sing already through that some of us will start to touch him Oh yes, we have that high priest.
0: He
2: says, come boldly, come boldly, come boldly, come boldly, come boldly. I give you mercy, but I also give you grace.
1: I give you mercy, but I also
2: give you grace. Oh, you can touch him and immediately your condition can be made well. Let's sing Savior, let's take it higher. Savior, Savior, Savior. Savior, Savior. Faith, but it's not desperate enough sometimes we are desperate but we just don't have enough faith but when you bring your desperation or your infirmity and you root it in truly believing that God not only is able but is willing to bring about by restoration you know what happens desperation evokes God's compassion Father, let your compassion rest with your healing power upon those who have reached out to you in faith today in the name of Jesus. Let me quickly say something in the second point. It's quick, but it's probably the most important thing. Saving faith. There's almost a comical part here. As he's going through the place, and he stops, and he, he, he realizes that power has left him. He says, who touched me? I know how many of you work under a boss, CEO, team lead, and sometimes maybe they didn't wake up on the right side of bed. Maybe they've had too much coffee. Maybe they've even had coffee, because obviously any time you take coffee, you know, it screws with your mind. Who wants to contradict me under the anointing? I'm telling you, coffee is bad for you. But let's come back. And so, your boss says something. That, you know, like, okay, that doesn't make sense. That's what you want to say. But now you say, oh, can you explain again? Oh, okay, are you trying to say, and you're like, that's what the disciples did there. He said, who taught me? Jesus. <laughs> so, <laughs> there are many, <laughs> I, maybe you didn't see. <laughs> but that, you miss the point. The healing ministry, particularly, let's say, in Nigeria is very controversial. A lot of people have been swindled by charlatans. A lot of people have Go to these kinds of things where, you know, they're, they're whipped up into frenzies and there isn't any healing. People come, you sow seeds for this and all of those things. But at the same time, a lot of people have been disappointed. And let me tell you part of the reason why. I think what we don't see is why does God do miracles in the first place? God doesn't do miracles for the sake of miracles. He's actually trying to show you something. You see, the woman, this suffering woman, wanted something from Jesus. But Jesus wanted the someone behind the suffering. Who touched me? And then she came and he spoke. You see, when they were speaking there, they were speaking a language called Aramaic. Aramaic is like pidgin Hebrew. It's like pidgin Hebrew. So it's good to it sound like Hebrew, but not quite. You, you understand what I mean? So when they're speaking, they're speaking Aramaic, but the person that is writing is writing in Greek, so he's translating that. So for instance, when you hear talitha kum, that's Aramaic. He's not translating that. He's giving you exactly what he said, but, but their conversation was in Aramaic. So when Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you, the Greek word that is translated um, that translated healed. When you take the Aramaic word that is under that Greek word, it is a word called Yashua, Yashua. But remember, I said Aramaic is what pigeon. It's really a variant of Yeshua. And Yeshua, many of us know when taken to English means Jesus. And he said he will be called Jesus, for he shall save them from there sins. She had been assured by Jesus. In other words, she came for physical healing but Jesus is saying behind these miracles so that you may know that the son of man has the authority to forgive sins he told the man take up your bed and walk the reason why God demonstrates healings here and there is to give you the assurance that he has a greater healing that he can do in your life he wants to heal you for all eternity he wants to heal the relational a barrier between himself and yourself. In Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, it says that the Lord's hand is not too short to save, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. And that is why we have the crucifixion that Jesus eventually went to the cross to bear our sin so that you won't have to bear it again. You may be here looking for that miracle But Jesus is looking for another miracle. If you've not surrendered your life to Christ, can I ask you, how is living for yourself doing? How is serving this God of yourself or serving this God of money or serving this God of relationship, how is it doing for you? I offer you something better. The Savior is not just passing by to heal your bodies. He's passing by to heal your soul. Make the best decision you'll ever make in your life you will not regret it. Amen? But let me finish with this third point. Contagious faith. Contagious faith. Now, we spent a lot of time on this woman. And actually, you may forget that there are two ladies in this scene. In fact, the story does not start with the woman. It starts with the lady's dad, the young girl's dad, actually. His name is Jairus. He meets Jesus in verse 22 and 23. And when he met Jesus, he says basically one thing. Come with me, please. Why? My daughter is... My daughter is... And so Jairus has come because his daughter is dying and he believes that Jesus can do something about it. My daughter is dying until somebody decided to interrupt and intercept. And she got her healing. And as Jairus and Jesus are about to be on the way to go and Heal Jairus' daughter. Guess what? Some people came from Jairus' house. Don't bother him. Don't. Do, your daughter that was dying, it now says your daughter, in verse 35, is now what? Dead. She's now what? Dead. See, now I'll see how some people come and steal somebody's blessing. You know how some people, when they say uh, in church, okay, we well, want to pray for this specific uh, group of people. You say, whether it's those people or not, my own condition, I will shall tap into and try anointing. And sometimes we think that God's blessing is like a football match. If somebody must win, somebody must lose. Nigeria must win. Cameroon must lose. For all Cameroonians that are watching, oh, now don't no vex. You beat us eighty-four final. You beat us eighty-eight final. Two thousand final. You beat us in Lagos. I was there at the stadium oh, that day. Worst worst experience of my life. But let's leave that. Okay, not quite. But. But it's not. You say, oh, Esau lost the blessing so that Jacob can win the blessing. But that's not how God works. God's blessing does not work. It's not a zero-sum game. It would be like not two people playing a a match. It would be like a husband that wants to watch a match, but the wife doesn't want him to watch the match because the wife wants him to spend quality time together. So there is a solution. It's not about win lose. Let them go and watch the match together. The husband will love. He's enjoying the blessing of watching the match. The wife is enjoying the blessing of two of them being together. This is how God runs His world. And for the, all the men in the house say what? Yeah. Yeah. Marriage counseling, healing, everything. We're just doing it. But it's essentially God's blessings can the blessing God has for you cannot be stolen by another person. Do you know that when God created the world and he said, be fruitful and multiply, you know what he's saying? He's saying, we don't have to wait for somebody to be in the mortuary for another person to be in the delivery room. Just be fruitful and multiply. And so, because these people were coming with the word of unbelief, Jesus immediately told Jairus, he said, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Ah, as pregnant too. Because what Jairus is based, Jesus is telling Jairus is this. The, f- the root that bears the fruit of fear is what? Unbelief. And unbelief is very insidious. It's very dangerous. It grows and it morphs. These same people that said, don't bother Jesus, they also started laughing at Jesus. You know what don't bother Jesus means? It means that Jesus can be bothered. That he can get, that you can pray to God, and at some point God say, "Oh, Phaedra has come again. Now, wow! All the blessing I gave you the day before yesterday, and yesterday, you have come again. I'm tired." is, thats not the God we serve. But there's even something worse there. Listen to what he says. Remember, he says that Jairus went to meet Jesus, and he said, "Your daughter is what dying." These people knew that Jairus went to meet Jesus when the daughter was dying. But now that the daughter is dead, they are now saying, don't bother him again. What are they saying? He can deal with demons, he can deal with disasters, he can even deal with disease, but this is death. In other words, he gets something way past God. That's what they are saying. Unbelief has different ways to which it comes. And let me speak to some people here. Maybe you came to City Church because you are like, Omar, oh, I'm tired of churches in Lagos. Let me give one church one more to go. I'm tired of breakthrough. I'm tired of so seed. I'm tired of today is your miracle. I'm tired of God is, is dealing with my storms. I'm tired of casting out one demon. I, the Third week now. Two weeks ago, Emmanuel told us about storms. Yeah, I said, let me just give you people one try. Last week, we talked about demons. City Church, strike three and we are out. Now, look at this man talking about healing. how they go? So, what happened? You see, because there are all these people around, they are promising healing and all of those things. And I've seen people disappointed. Listen, I see, I agree. Can't we just talk about principles? I love it when we're looking at Mark chapter 4 the, 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 the seed, the sower and the seed, and, and the different kinds of soils, and how it deals three different kinds of. I like, can't you just break those principles I like that, Pastor Femi. I like the of the mustard seed that grows and it gives us about the, the grand plan and the purpose of God, vision, teaching. I love all of that. But this other one, can I say to this to you, if you are that kind of person, the reason why we are treating this thing, one, two, three, you know why? It's because we don't want to be a Mark 4 Christian like we want to be a Mark 4 and five Christian. We don't want the Jesus only of Mark for that teaches. We love that Jesus. But we want to understand the Son of God in his totality. And this is what the Bible tells us. That the one who taught, that the one had, that had moral rectitude, that the genius of wisdom is also the powerful Jesus that heals and delivers. I want that Jesus. I want him in his totality. But I've read Oh, Let me tell you about the scientific method. Because I can't be fooled by anyone. It has to be rational, and it has to be empirical. I think with logic, and also I deal with data. Maybe you do uh, big data, you into big data, and all of those things. Some of this miraculous stuff, I don't know about it. Skeptical Christian. Let me warn you with this. It's good to be rational, beware of rationalism. It's good to be empirical, beware of Empiricism. What's the difference? The difference is about foundations. You see, when you say you want to be rational, that means you are using your thinking faculties. But you must start with somewhere, from somewhere, to engage those thinking faculties. Are are you following what I'm saying? You must start with somewhere. That's what we call a foundation. Everyone starts with a particular assumption. In mathematics, we have what you call first principles. You know what first principles are? First principles are... Things that we don't challenge. Let me talk about colors. That's why we have, what are first principle colors? Red, yellow, and what? Blue. We don't know how we get them, but we know that they are the foundation of everything. Now, when we start mixing all of them, we get all these colors. But those are the foundational colors. What are your foundational assumptions? Rationalism is not just about using your brain. Rationalism says this, the most important existence in the whole of the universe is me. Because I know that I can think, therefore I am. So we start from there. See, when you are 8, you are thinking, why not you? By the time you turn 18, some of the things that you believed with your logic at 8, you changed it, didn't you? By the time you were 18, uh, 28, you changed it. 38, you changed it. So, If you had to build you as the foundation, we'll keep updating over and over again. It's the same thing with every human being. I would rather not trust somebody who was here today, you will be gone tomorrow. I trust the one who created time, who is the alpha and the omega. And he has spoken and he has revealed himself. And so what you do with your rational thinking is to first accept God's revelation as the foundation. And then you engage rationally with that. Am I talking to somebody? The same thing with data and empiricism. Yes, you can see all the things, but you can't see everything. Some of us say, ah, unless I see it, I can't believe it. Have you ever seen a radio wave? Who has seen a radio wave before? Who has seen a microwave before? I'm not talking about microwave oven. Your microwave oven tells you that microwaves exist. Radio waves, your, your, inter, your, 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 your mobile phones tell you that what a, a, a microwaves exist. But you cannot see them. If I have to be depending on all that I can see and all that I can perceive, I am limited. But there is the all-seeing eye. The one whose eyes roam towards auto and through the whole earth. He can see everything. So I believe his revelation. And then I work with my empirical data. And let me tell you this. If you are a true thinking person, your rational thinking... And your empirical data can only lead you to a God who did miracles then and does miracles now. And he will do miracles today in the name of Jesus. So beware, skeptical Christian. I know the abuses, but the abuse of a thing does not invalidate its proper use. And so Jesus says beware of that unbelief. It contaminates so let me help you with two ways, and we'll end this, and we'll pray. Two ways that you help, that helps you build your faith in a way, and get this, because some people will say, I've been trying to touch God, nothing has happened. Well, if you can't touch God, let God touch you, and this is how we do it through a particular kind of faith. Let me show you how to build that faith. Number one, believe in the word. Number two, believe in the testimonies. Believe in the word and believe in the testimonies. First one, believe in the word. Remember. Jesus spoke to Lazarus, uh, to Lazarus. Jairus. Yeah, he did speak to Lazarus. That one was dramatic, shall we? but we're not talking about that one today. He spoke to Jairus. He spoke to Jairus. He spoke to Jairus. How does faith come? It comes by hearing the word about Christ. Romans 10 verse 17. It says this. Romans 10 verse 17 So faith comes by hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. You can't resist unbelief just by saying, I'm not going to be contaminated by unbelief. I'm not going to be a No. There is no middle state here. You counter unbelief with the truth of God's word. Am I speaking to someone? Unbelief is strong, but there is a thing that is more powerful than unbelief. It is alive, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. You counter it with that. And now we are in a place where people don't actually value the Word of God. They'd like to come and hear the Word of God. You like somebody that studied that, and then you want that person to pray for you. But if you are in Luke 1:37, that the Word of God never fails. No Word of God ever fails. Let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 8... Jesus, they said in verse 16, Jesus was healing and he was um, uh, driving out demons. Now, many times you don't think, ah, Jesus just went, did that, you know, he's son of God and blah, blah. No. He was doing that, but he was doing that not randomly. Remember we said that the word of God, no word of God will ever fail. Do you know that Isaiah had said something about this? So in verse 17, he interprets this, this, um, deliverance and healing. He said, this was to fulfill what was spoken through prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. In other words, the word that was spoken 700 years then, all of a sudden the word bears fruit. Why? Because God's word does not return to him void. And so do you have that word with you? So let me give you four steps that you can use. If you find yourself in a difficult situation, a situation that needs deliverance, a situation that needs healing, how can you use the word of God to you? Four things locate and meditate, memorize and utilize. That's good. You know, Andrew, 3000, he rubbed off on me a little bit, right? That that, 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 that worked. Locate and meditate, uh, uh, memorize and utilize. Locate and meditate, memorize and utilize. Say it with me. Locate and meditate, memorize and utilize. Why locate? In other words, if you are going through a condition, let's talk about healing, for instance. Do you know the places and the scriptures that actually speak about healing? Jesus, when he was about to start his own ministry, the question is this, does he know where his ministry is spoken about? Oh, yes, he did. When he entered the synagogue in Luke 4, 17, he said that the scroll was unrolled and he found, he located where it was said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach good news to the Gentiles and to set at liberty those that are captive. And he looked at them and said, this day, that word is being fulfilled in your hearing. Can you locate a word and say, Lord, let it be fulfilled to me according to your word. This is why we need to locate, but when you locate you need to meditate, you need to be able to sit down, understand, understand not just make it like some magic incantations, you have to understand why this applies to you and why this can be used, let me give you one example I'm a father I'm a husband, I am a boss I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher now depending on which office I am, uh, depending on which one I am using at the time, you get that thing from me So right now, I'm not like I would be with my wife. I'm not annoying, right? Because I'm preaching. So these different identities, these different names tap into something that has to do with me. So when you meet Pastor Femi, the preacher, I'll be preaching. When you meet me as counselor, we'll be speaking one-on-one. When you see me as father, you'll see me playing with my children. It's the same thing with God and the names of God. Whenever you are lacking guidance in your life, yes, he's Jehovah, but he's Jehovah in a certain way. He is Jehovah, Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. He guides me along, uh, he he leads me uh, um, uh, beside still waters, he restores my soul. But when you are struggling with your identity, you don't need Jehovah Rohi. Do you know what you need? You need Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. I am defined by God, not by anything else. When you are struggling with righteousness and sin and He's trying to condemn you, you need Jehovah Sikendu. That is, the Lord is my righteousness. Am I speaking to somebody? When you are are struggling with finances or you are struggling with some kind of provision, that is when you invoke the name of who? Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. But I'm not here to talk about any of those things. I want you, if you are going through a situation where there is a a, a problem in your body, there is another name for God. The same God that smote the Egyptians who put his children in bondage. He said in Exodus chapter 15 verse 26, I will not put those diseases that I put on the Egyptians upon you. Why? Because I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord that heals you. Do you see what you do? You go to that passage, not just read passage, you meditate and you meditate. Have you found, have you located and meditated on the word for your condition? Then after you do that, in preparation for the battle day, now you start to memorize. You have meaning, but you need to memorize. Because if you have meaning without memorizing them, it will be like the tip of an arrow, but you don't have a sling. If you have memory, if you memorize the scriptures and you don't have meaning, it will be like shooting an arrow but you don't have the tip of the spear you need the tip of the spear and the sling this is where you memorize scripture have you memorized scripture enough Jeremiah said that your words were found by me and I ate them, he said your word was inside me like a fire in my heart, like a fire shot in my bones he said that you are the Lord that healed me, you sent your word and you healed my disease diseases. He said that, blessed be the Lord my soul, who forgives not all, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and he heals all your diseases. He says this, that I heal me, O God, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. Once you start to memorize this in different conditions, you will not be left unprepared. You will fire it like an arrow with fire against the enemy's lies. Believe the word of God, I say. Believe the word of God and touch him by faith. to not be afraid so locate and meditate memorize and when the situation comes utilize utilize the word but I have one more part there too I want to one more key. I want to share with you before we pray. Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Do you know partly why he said that? Faith is contagious, unbelief is contagious as well. These people have come and Jesus doesn't want them to contaminate Jairus. Even when he's going to go and heal, he says all the people that are wailing in commotion, he put them all out. He did not want their unbelief to contaminate. That's one reason. But the second reason, what you were saying, Jairus, 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 they were not here. You were here. You saw what happened to that woman. Gyros, don't allow their unbelief, don't allow their skepticism to rob you of what your eyes just saw. Look at her testimony. She testified. This woman has been suffering in the same period of time as your daughter has existed. If I could heal her of 12 years of malady, I can heal a 12-year-old. You know why testimonies are important? Testimonies are visible expressions to us that God truly is working, that what we see in the word is not a lie. So when I hear someone's testimony, I say, oh, the God that did it there can do it for me. I must confess to you, as a church, we've not done very well with testifying. Not because there are no miracles, but maybe we've been too sensitive. We don't want to create some kind of jamboree around here where people are just saying, ah... Ah, there's power in that place. Go there. You don't come to be fed. You don't come to do community. You don't come to be taught. Worse off, you could even start saying something like, ah, God of Femi Oshuni, come on. You understand? You start praying in that way. I'm not saying it's, it's God of Femi Oshunui because it's my God, but it's your own God as well. We don't want our faith rooted in human beings, but in God. And that's why we be very careful and maybe overly careful. But permit me to share a few. I remember last year, in the place of prayer, I was praying and I had a word that we should pray for people who had reproductive illnesses in their body, right? So, mention mentioned things like pickles. we mentioned things like bairnos, like all of those things. And the instruction was that we should anoint them with oil and pray for them. A number of ladies came up. Since that time, I've heard, the one I've heard, not one, not two, not three four, I still remember about two weeks ago, someone came to meet me and she said, when you anointed, said I think it was March or April, she said, I have, I have these particular symptoms every time, April May, June, June, she said the symptoms have not come back in fact, if you know some, uh, what PICOS is, because really stops people from most times, the, the chances of you having children are very low, I can tell you one of them even got pregnant recently guys, God is at work but let me share this other one a little bit more elaborate again. And again, please, I don't want you to think anything about... I want you to put your faith in the God that does this. Last year, towards the end of last year, a friend of mine, a pastor in another city here in, in, in Nigeria, but I don't want to reveal too much about it because there's, there's some sensitivity around it. But he had a child... He and his wife were in their 40s, so she just had a child. And you know, it's a little bit riskier, the older that you are. They were really happy. This child came out. And you know how you are filled with so much joy, but all of a sudden, you look at the eyes of the doctors. And you're like, hmm, something is wrong here. Something is wrong here. Something is wrong. Next thing, they had to quickly rush the child. And when they rush the child, what did they do? They had to put the child on oxygen machine because the child could not breathe independently. He was struggling to breathe and so they put him on this oxygen machine and, okay, don't worry. It happens. Eventually, once he gets into the breathing pattern, eventually he will stabilize. And so they were hoping that maybe by the evening that things will have gotten better. It got worse. They had to increase the oxygen levels, if I'm not mistaken, because I had to call him a few days ago to just verify anything. They put him on a VPAP uh, uh, or z machine to increase, it just to, and they were trying increasing it. Okay, by day two, it will get better. It got worse and worse, and worse, such that they had to increase, keep increasing the oxygen levels. By day three, it wasn't that it was, it had gotten worse. Oh, it had gotten worse. And they had gotten to the highest level of oxygen they can give a child. They, normally, a child at that age, they said if to increase it at that point, you can bust his, his, his heart or something. And it was even worse again. At this point, he had something, if I'm not mistaken, it's called cyanosis. That is where you start seeing blue marks on the fingers, blue marks on the toes, blue marks on his lips. This is indicative that there is a cardiac problem. He probably has a hole in his heart or something that the blood is not going through his body. And so, the doctors did what doctors do. the dreaded thing. The pediatrician came. With three other doctors, you know why they're doing that. In case there's going to be need to be able to give some emotional support, and he said to him, "Sir, we've tried everything we can. We have to take this child off this, and it was essentially life support. We have to take him off the um, the machine." We are really sorry, but these things happened. Offer some comforting words. You know that, you know, you probably can still have another child and everything. At this point, the wife went berserk. They said the only reason that they, they were a good way for almost two hours for, the, for the, um, the cardiologist to come so that he can certify what the problem is and eventually to take it off. The wife was rolling all over the floor. This pastor was despondent and then he was thinking, what will I do? Now, let me tell you one more thing about this pastor, friend of mine is what some of us will know this term is what you call a cessationist now cessationism is a is a is a, is a belief that is good Christians believe it but they said the miracles in the bible were to authenticate the validity of Jesus and his apostles we don't really have those miracles now even if we have it now God providentially does it but it's not that you can say somebody can come and say I'm going to pray for you and you will be well and and that we should be doing those things because he had seen a lot and he was struggling with it and just said you know what I don't do that thing and I was telling him I've been telling him over a period of time understand where you're coming from I flirted with that thing but this thing I've seen things with my eyes, and this thing we can't exegetically prove this thing from the Bible. I've seen things with my eyes. I was trying to persuade him. He even came for our conference two years ago. You know he was still like, ah. so. Any time he sees me say, "Ah, I love Pastor Femio, but we disagree on this issue." And so I left it. Quick thing to everyone here: if you are persuade, trying to persuade people of, about certain things that are true, don't easily give up because they say they don't believe. Because sometimes you are sowing a seed this seed was about to germinate now. You know why? Because he now said, I wanted to call somebody. I knew I needed prayers. And he thought about some of his cessationist pastor friends. These were his words to me. I did not need somebody that was going to pray with me and say that God will comfort you. You know that on all things we should give thanks. You know that God giveth and taketh. Let me say the name of that. He said, I know all of those things. I did not want that. I needed somebody that was going to speak life. I needed somebody that was going to pray. So he put a call to the pastor that he said he doesn't disagree. He doesn't agree with. He called me and called me and called me, but I couldn't pick up because it was a Sunday. And I just got him back home and I normally don't check my phone. So we're going to eat and we ate and I didn't carry my phone. But God works providentially. Because usually after I've eaten, what i go and do is what preachers know is called a Sunday nap. Once we are gone, it's just a preacher thing. You are gone. But that day, I think we had an appointment at Pastor Moses' house. So we had to go after, we had to go to Pastor Moses after eating. So we now stopped at, my wife wanted to get something at Pastor Francis' house. So we stopped there, she was talking with KK, with KC, his wife. And then, something just says, you know, not something, the impulsiveness, you know, know, what am I doing, carry your phone. So I carried my phone, I checked, I saw about two, three missed calls from him. Why would this guy be calling me on a Sunday? He's also a pastor. What is it? I called him. The moment he picked up. He said, Pastor family, what happened? My son. My son is dying. They said this. He was talking gibberish. What? I needed to pray. My son is about to die. He respirated. Blah, blah, blah. But what? He immediately said it. I don't know how to explain it. There is a something called the righteous anger of God. There was like an anointing that came upon my head. I started to pray. I started to declare. I started to bring out the scriptures. Shooting them at random, but also with precision. I did not know that he now went to where the child was. He held the leg of the child. He was shouting, Amen. 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 I finished. I said, it's done. 15 minutes later, the cardiologist came. When the cardiologist tested him, everything that they did, all the tests, you know what the cardiologist said? There is nothing wrong with this child. But the doctors were premused. They said, but we have been putting him on oxygen. He said, I cannot find anything wrong with him. Two hours after, his breathing started to resuscitate. Two, four hours after, they reduced the oxygen level. The next day, they reduced the oxygen level. And remember, it was three days that brought him to that place. But I know that Jesus was in the grave for three days. And after three days, he rose again. On the third day, they took off the breathing machine. I asked him about the sword today. He is hell and he's hearty and you tell me jesus doesn't do miracles oh jesus is the same today he's the same yesterday and he will be the same forevermore let's rise to our feet
0: thanks for listening if you found this sermon helpful we hope you join us in the mission of renewing lagos with the gospel by sharing it rating this podcast and following us these actions help us reach more people with the gospel you can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church.